Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Your Bible, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Um, this is week two of what started out to be a one-week sermon. Uh, and uh, this is Luke chapter 17. We'll begin in verse 1. And we're going to read down through verse 10, I believe. So Luke chapter 17. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Verse 7, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, hey, come and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Father, today we honor your word. And we ask, Lord, that through your word you teach us. And we pray the, the, the prayer of Psalm 119 that says, Open our eyes to see wondrous things in your law. Father, thank you for every person here. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. And God, I pray that at the end of today, we'd love you more than we did this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So last week we started on this sermon series, or this sermon in Luke chapter 17, verse um, one all the way down to verse 10 and we were talking about the attitudes of a disciple and we understood it in light of community that that these this text or discipleship can only be lived out with other people and and I don't just mean other people around you but I I mean Christian community and so we understood that because God has saved us he's not just saved us out of sin from darkness, from hell, but He saved us into the church, into the family of God. He saved us into the saints, into the believers, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. He saved us from something, and He saved us to something. And that to something 
always puts us with people. A lot of times people say, well, my Christianity, my faith is a my faith thing. It's a private enterprise, and God's words would say very differently. That your faith is not private, but your faith is always lived out and played out in the community of believers. And so I need you to understand that as Jesus is talking to us today, to you and to me, these are God's words through His Son to you and I today, that He's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you can only be my disciple in light of community. That's why when Jesus called disciples, He called 12 of them. He didn't want you to do it alone. He brought us into community. And we see that in this text. And so there are four attitudes that we talked about last week, and we started with two of them. We, we first talked about care in teaching. Care in teaching because Jesus says, Woe to the one who through whom temptation comes. He said, Temptation is sure to come. That Greek word is offenses or scandalon. It literally means the stick of bait in the back of a trap. We talked about that God doesn't want us to become the stick of bait that would lure a child of God away from true and sound doctrine. And so we see that there's care in teaching. That is an attitude of a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we want to get it right. And we want to get it right because when we teach it, we want others to get it right. Because if we get it wrong as Sunday school teachers or evangelists or preachers and pastors, if we get it wrong, eternity hangs in the balance of teaching. And that's a scary place. That's why James chapter 3 says, Not many of you, brothers, should become teachers. For with teaching there comes a stricter judgment. And so understand that if you want to, if you're a teacher, if God's called you to teach, and listen, He's called all of us to teach in certain places. Men, let me talk to you for a second. He's called each one of you to be a spiritual leader of His home, your home. And if you are a man, God's called you to teach your family in such a way that instructs them rightly and be careful in your teaching. All of us, parents, wives, you are leading these children and you're teaching them. Make sure that you're not using God's Word as a means to modify your children's behavior but rather we're using God's Word to go after the heart of your child. There's a big difference from behavioral modification and life transformation. Behavioral modification will not save a soul, but life, when Jesus invades the heart, the life will be transformed. And so parents, you're teachers. Grandparents, when you've got your children over, your grandchildren over, teach them. Give them God's Word before Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas meal or whatever it is. Give them God's Word, but do it carefully. Sunday school teachers, be careful. Preachers, be careful. He even says, woe to you. Woe to the one through whom those temptations, those offenses, those scandalons come. He said, it'd be better if a a millstone, a giant millstone were tied around your neck. It'd be better for you if that happened than if you led one little one astray. Last week we talked about how that was kind of mafia sounding, isn't it? And Jesus says, it'd be better for you to die a mafia style death than for you to lead one little child away. And then he says, 
He says, and if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So we've got the first attitude is care and teaching. The second attitude is Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, should be forgiving people. Is that true all the time? No, we should be forgiving people. But is it true that we're always forgiving people? No, is the answer. Sure not. Since there is this offense that's going to come, likely to come, and if you've lived with me for more than a week, offenses will come. If you've lived with somebody that you love or you've walked in community with people, guess what? God is going to use this person and even their knuckleheaded decisions or words to grow you. And when they offend you, it says rebuke them. And I, we mentioned last week how, how little we think of a loving rebuke. How we've forgotten the, that a loving rebuke is a good tool in the life of a Christian to a brother or sister who you love dearly and want to restore. You see them erring and you gently restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. We've forgotten that a rebuke is a gift of God. We've forgotten that church discipline is a good thing and it starts with one person going to another person rebuking of sin. And then it says when you rebuke them, if they repent, forgive them. When I say, hey, you, you have a, a scriptural right to rebuke somebody in sin, we go, oh man, that's going to be fun right there. I like this. I can't wait for day one on the job. Where do I start? Let me see. But then it says, if he repents, forgive. So just as quickly as you want to make the rebuke, just as quickly as you want to make that rebuke, be as quick to forgive the person when they repent. And then we go, well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know my story. You don't know how they've hurt me. And Jesus seems to say, well, it doesn't matter how they've hurt you. Have they repented of their sin? Forgive them. And if he sins against you seven times, and turns seven times to ask for forgiveness and repent, forgive them. Forgiveness. We should be a people of forgiveness. Why should we be a people of forgiveness? Because the one who forgives has been forgiven much. Do you understand the great depth to which God has gone to forgive you and me? I want you to understand that forgiveness is costly. God gave it all to forgive you and I. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you just need to forgive them and forget it? You ever heard that? Amen, somebody? Y'all wake up out there. Forgive it and forget it. That's what God does. That's a lie. God doesn't forget. If God forgot stuff, God would cease to be God. Amen? Amen? He doesn't forget. What it says in the scripture is that God forgives and he, he chooses not to remember it anymore. 
Which one would you rather have? Somebody who's forgetful or somebody who chooses not to bring up your sin as a weapon against you? And that's God's goodness. That when He forgives you, He throws it, as Micah says, He throws it in the depths of the sea. As Psalm 103, and we didn't read this part in Psalm 103, it says He takes your sin and He removes it from you as far as the east is from the west. Do you want to know, in heaven, there's not going to be a sea. Did you know that? There's not an ocean in heaven. You want to know why? This is Ryan Perry's speculation. I need you to hear that. Speculation means I'm just guessing here. I can't find this scripture. But he throws our sin in the depths of the sea, but there's no sea in heaven. Why is that? Because in heaven, there is no remembrance of my sin. How is that possible? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus bore your sin and my sin on the cross. He bore it away from you just as the scapegoat of Leviticus bears the sins away from the people of Israel. Jesus died, he suffered, died, bled. His blood was shed for us as the atoning sacrifice. And then as the scapegoat, he bore it away. To remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. To cast it in the deepest of the oceans. And then in heaven, that's why there is no sea. He forgives. So, Jesus says, you forgive. You forgive people. Why? Because I've forgiven you much, Jesus says. And, and that's when we want to get high and mighty and go, you don't know, God. And God goes, I don't know. Really? Well, you don't know what they've done to me. Did they kill you? They killed me. And in that moment, verse 5, the apostles understood how hard it was. And this is what they said. Increase our faith. Do you, do you feel the same way they did? Whoa, man. God, you want me to do what? How am I supposed to forgive that person? I've been bearing a grudge against that person since I was a kid. Anybody? They wounded me. X amount of years ago. I don't... Have it in me to forgive them. I don't know how to do it. God, that seems so hard. Like if I let them off the hook. How's that just? How's that right? And God reminds us that he is the one who keeps vengeance. He is the just and the justifier. He will make wrong or make right all wrongdoings. Not now, but one day. Forgiveness is saying, I turn them over to your justice. There are some of us in this room, we've been bearing grudges. I've made a bunch of contacts through a lot of our inactive church role. And I've talked to people who are still carrying around grudges from decades ago against our church. 
And I just remind them that we're not the same place that we were that day, by God's grace. And if they'd like to talk about that, we'd love to have them back. Do you know we carry around grudges sometimes? Intending that one day I'm going to get that person. But you want to know what? That day never comes and we're the ones that suffer for it. He says, forgive them. God, that's hard. He says, increase my faith. Increase my faith. I want you to see a couple things just in that little phrase. Increase my faith. So what's the, the third attitude of a, a disciple is faith. Faith. I want you to understand that healthy relationships in the community of God's people always find their source in a healthy relationship with God. Where did they turn? Where did the disciples turn? They said, we understand that you want us to forgive them. But where did they turn for the strength and the ability to do it? To Jesus himself. Lord, increase our faith. They understood that God, I need you to do something in me if you want me to do that for them. They understood that was the healthy relationships in the family of God are deeply rooted in a healthy relationship with God the Father. They understood that God was the source of faith. Now I want to talk about faith for a minute. Sometimes we think, we think of faith as this magical possession. How many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings before? Lord of the Rings? Okay, we're the ones that have way too much time on our hands, right? Because each movie is nine years long. The Lord of the Rings, there is a ring. And every person who possesses the ring has these powers. The ring even possesses them. And everybody wants the ring because they believe that if they get the ring, then they'll be, have these magical powers. But what they find out is that in possessing the ring, the ring possesses them. Now hear me for a second. Sometimes I think we view faith as something magical that if I possess it, it has the power to do what I want it to do. What I want it to do. If I just had more faith, I could accomplish my will. I could accomplish all the things that I want to do. That if I simply have more faith, that I can manipulate God. I know none of us would ever say that, but that's what we think. That's the way we act. It's even a big, big push in church today. Listen to me, church. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, if you're sick, you just need to have enough faith. And God will heal you. And if, if He doesn't heal you, guess whose fault it is? Yours. You didn't have enough faith. I can't find that. It's a big push. That is the most... That is not freeing faith. That is guilt-inducing faith. All of the, the weight of God's will for you is based on the measure of faith that you can muster up? Oh, I don't want to live that life. I don't want to live that life. That's not the way God works. 
this teaching doesn't line up. How do I know this teaching doesn't line up? Because in Acts chapter 12, there's a story. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, James dies. He's beheaded with the sword. James dies. He's in prison. He gets put in prison by Herod. Herod beheads him. And when he sees how much it pleases all the Jews that beheading James accomplishes, he says, hey, I'm going to get another one. So he arrests Peter. He puts Peter in prison. And guess what happens? Peter falls asleep in the cell. An angel of the Lord comes and wakes him up, knocks on his side, get up, follow me. They leave. When he gets out of the prison, he walks through the gate and he goes, whoa, this must be real. He, one apostle dies, one apostle is set free. Is it because one had more faith than the other? I'm not going to say that to him. I'm not going to get to heaven and go, James, if you just had a little more faith, brother, you wouldn't have died. I mean, check out Peter over here. It doesn't line up. It doesn't line up that Paul wasn't healed with his thorn in the flesh. Do you remember that? He begged the Lord. Please remove this thorn in my flesh. And the Lord said, no. Was it because Paul didn't have enough faith? I, I, I want to be in heaven when you have that conversation with the Lord, if you think that way. Paul would have taken after me. If he had just had more faith. Then why did the apostles die as martyrs? If, if they just would have had a little more faith. Do you see what I'm saying? See, biblical faith is this. Biblical faith is taking God at His word, trusting His promises, and acting accordingly, accordingly with obedience. Taking God at His word, trusting His promises, and acting accordingly in obedience. That is biblical faith. And so what does Jesus say? He says, they say, increase our faith, Lord. We can't do this whole forgiveness thing. Increase our faith. He says, if you had the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, but be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. you. You guys have heard a sermon like this before, that the mustard seed was one of the smallest of garden seeds. Tiny little bitty seed. And the mulberry tree was this big, expansive bush plant tree. And it had a deep, deep root system. It could live 600 plus years. And he said, if you had faith this size... You could up, say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and thrown into the sea and it obey you. And here's what we've done. We've tried to speculate about it, exactly what that means. But let me get very practical what, with what that means. Don't miss the point. Jesus is saying that a little bit of faith, when acted upon, can do surprising things in your life. Just a little bit of faith. You don't need a lot of faith to obey. You don't need a lot of faith to do what God's called you to do. Listen to me, church family. God's given you all the faith that you need to obey Him. All of it. Everything that He requires of you to do His will, He's given to you. That's why He's a good Father. He's good. It's just a little bit of faith. Just a little bit. He says, don't worry about the amount of your faith. Apply what you have and watch Him work. Apply what you have and watch Him work. 
See, the disciples' main responsibility was to trust God and watch Him work in their lives. The author of Hebrews says, without faith, help me out, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because the opposite of walking in faith is living in fear. What The fruit of fear is anxiety and worry and doubt. Fear considers the what-ifs of the world more than the promises of God. Listen, church family, we have slipped into a place of fear as the church. We have made lots of decisions based on fear. I have, we have watched churches split over COVID. It's real. I'm not saying that it's not. People have died from it. I'm not saying that they haven't. But fear never leads to good decisions. And, and fear never leads to good relationships. Is all fear sin? Is all fear sin? No. If you don't have any fear in your life, you're not paying enough attention. Right? If I'm walking through the African savanna, I should be afraid of what could be behind that bush. But fear should not govern the Christ followers, the, the disciples' decision-making process, the life of the disciple. Fear should not govern us. We should not walk in it. Fear, any fear that keeps you from taking God at His word, trusting in His promises, and acting obedient, that fear is sinful. See, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So, so what Jesus is saying is don't wait until you have enough faith or until you have more faith. That's not how it works. Have you noticed? Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, increase my faith. How many of you good-hearted, well-intentioned people, you've prayed that prayer with me? What does God do? Does God sprinkle faith down on you out of a salt and pepper shaker from heaven and go, oh, bless you, my son. Here's more faith. No, what does he do? I'm going to put you into the middle of a trial and a storm. And when you walk through that and you take me at my word and you trust in my promises and you act obediently to me through the trial, you'll come out of the other side of the trial with more faith than you did when you walked into the trial. Are you with me? That's how God does it. He doesn't sprinkle it. He grows it. I stopped praying for patience a long time ago. Because He doesn't sprinkle it. He grows it. He grows our faith through trials, but we don't need more faith. Some of us are asking God to increase our faith when we're not using the measure of faith that God has given us. God, if you just gave me a little more, I would give more to the church. I'd be obedient to you. If you just gave me a little more ability or skill, I would go evangelize this person that you've been telling me to evangelize. If you just gave me more faith, I would do this that you want me to do. And God says, that's not the way it works, Ryan. It's not the way it works. If you... If you take me at my word, you trust in my promises, and you walk in obedience, guess what? On the other side, you'll have more faith. You share the gospel even when you are scared to death. 
Why? Because through the process, I'm obeying God, taking Him, taking him at His word, trusting His promises, and obeying Him. And on the end, I'm going to say, man, my faith has swelled. Why? Because I, I planted that, that mustard seed of faith in the, in the ground. And I watched it grow. Are you with me, church family? Some of us are asking for more faith, but we're not using what He already gave to us. God's not going to bless that. He's not going to bless that in our lives. A pastor friend of mine was heading to a new church, and he asked God, increase my faith. And when he arrived to the new church, almost immediately, I think it was two weeks after he got to this new church, God allowed his wife to get cancer. And after walking through that, while trusting God, over the next two years of treatments and scans, guess what God did? He increased his faith. See, we need to act on the faith that we have. What we know we need to do, let's do it. You want to see your faith grow? I want to see my faith grow. Jesus is saying, use what you got. Plant that little mustard seed in the ground of obedience and watch it grow. Watch it work. See what I can do with your mustard seed if you'll give it to me. Are you with me? Because remember, it's not the size of our faith that counts. It's the object of our faith that counts. That's how salvation works. Salvation, the, the what saves us, is not the amount of our faith in Jesus, but the object of our faith, who is Jesus. God doesn't save you because you have great faith. He doesn't disregard you because you don't have enough faith. Let me give you a perfect example of that. It's found back in Exodus chapter 12 or 11 and 12. God promises to the people of Israel who are enslaved in Egypt that I'm going to set you guys free tonight. Here's how I'm going to do it. I want each family to get a lamb. Perfect one. A spotless one. And I want you to shed its blood. I want you to put all the blood in a bowl. And then I want you to prepare the lamb and I want you to eat the lamb. But I want you to save the blood aside. I want you to take the blood, I want you to gather some hyssop branches, and I want you to dip the hyssop branches in the blood, and I want you to go to the front door of your house, and I want you to paint the lintels and the, the doorposts and the lintel of your house with the blood of the lamb. And if you do that, the judgment of God will pass over you. Can you imagine being an Israelite that night? I want you to imagine, a, this is a hypothetical conversation, but one Israelite was walking down the street. He saw his other friend. He said, man, things have gotten pretty serious here in Egypt, haven't they? Yeah, they have. God's going to rescue us. Yeah, I know, but I'm terrified, aren't you? I trust God, the one says. I trust God, and we're going to paint our house in the blood. We're going to be safe. The other one says, you know, I don't know. I've only got one son. You've got two of them. One of yours dies. you still got one. I've only got one. 
I love my Charlie. I'm, I'm scared. Both of them, they go home that night. And they paint the doorposts and the lintels of their home with the blood of the Lamb. That night, the angel of death comes through the land of Egypt. Which house does the angel of death spare? Both of them. Why? Because it's not the amount or intensity of our faith that saves us. It's trusting in the blood of the Lamb that was slain on our behalf. That's salvation. If you want to be saved, it doesn't take a great amount of faith. You put your little mustard seed of faith in the perfect cross of Jesus Christ and you trust in the blood of the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world and God will spare your soul. It's not the amount or intensity of our faith. Jesus says, I've given you faith. It's the faith of a mustard seed planted. Some of us today, Tom, can we have a brief staff meeting? This is going to turn into three weeks. We're going to talk about serving. Some of us, we want to be saved. Some of us, we're waiting on the day that we would have enough faith to please God. And God is looking at you and He's saying, trust me with what you got. Don't wait till tomorrow to do what you need to do today. Ryan, that's hard. Because I've been going to church here for a long time. And what if I tell people that I need to be saved and people have thought that I'm saved? That's kind of like the apostles said, this is hard, increase our faith. Plant your mustard seed of faith. Take God at His word, trust in His promises, and act obediently. And God will multiply your mustard seed and make it far more powerful than you could ever imagine that it would be. Amen. Some of you, you've been waiting. You've been waiting. God told you to do something a long time ago. Whether it's forgiveness or tithing, giving, being generous to the church, service, there's something that God has told you to do to, to be right with this person that wronged you or you wronged. There's something in your life that God has told you to do and you, you haven't taken that step of faith because you're waiting on the more. And I, I just want to encourage you to, to go back 
go back to where you went astray and say, God, I'm sorry. But, but today, if you'll accept my mustard seed, I'll obey you. I don't, I don't care to be a church of great faith, but I do care to be a church of active faith. I care to be a church that, that we do what God asks us to do, little or big. I think that's easier said right now than done in the years to come. But I want to set a precedent today for my children, for my sheep, that this day, that we would plant our mustard seed in the ground. Say, God, this is all I got right now. But I want to obey. Would you stand with me? As we close today, would you stand with me? Hear me. Jesus died for you. Oh gosh, He loves you. And, and there's nothing you can do to mess that up. And so if you need to meet Jesus today, to go from religion to a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do that. If, if you stand right where you are right now and you say, Ryan, I don't know that if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. I don't know that I would be forgiven. I don't know that God really does love me. I, I just want to ask you to take God at His word today. To trust Him in His promises and to act in faith. Invite Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and your Savior. Surrender to Him today. And I promise it says, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to invite you. You're one of those everyone. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Let him save you today. Would you bow with me? Father, I believe that you're working in this place. I believe, Lord. We sang a song before, before our sermon that said, God will make a way, and I believe you have made a way. His name is Jesus. You said, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, Father, there are people that need to come through Jesus to God for salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. And I, my prayer is that you would make a way in their heart. You'd, you'd give them that mustard seed of faith, and Father, they'd plant it today in Jesus. Father, for us, help us to be an obedient church. A church that does what you command us to do when it's good and does what you command us to do when it's hard. 
We want to obey you, Lord Jesus. Work right now in our midst. If there's sin in our lives, Father, please convict us. Unforgiveness, disobedience, forgive us. And bring us to the place where we can obey you once again. Father, we love you. We need you. We pray these things and that you'd move. We pray them in Jesus' name right now. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.